The 51st Psalm is where my Bible is opened up to this morning. I invite you to go ahead and take your Bibles out and be opening up to that uh, passage as well as we prepare to study from God's Word this morning. And I'd like to say as you're opening your Bibles and turning there that we absolutely have sunshine in our soul today. We look outside. I told, I told Joe it seems like Nate has finally made his way to visit with us. He's here and I believe he's going to be here all day. Um, but despite the rain and the cloudy weather, we have a, a very, very great source of light uh, in our lives this morning. It is a great encouragement for us to be here, uh, to be reminded that God loves us, that He is, he is with us in, in this world that so oftentimes is filled with people who are, who are out doing their own will, doing their own thing, um, trying to, to, to live their lives as a way that, that seems fit to them. Uh, a world that is constantly following, not the will of the Lord, but the will of the devil. And, and gathered here this morning, gathered here in this building, I'm reminded that, that we are not alone in the middle of that world. We are, we are here together with one another to, to encourage one another, to provoke one another, to keep, to keep moving forward, to keep striving, to be pleasing to the Lord, to lift one another up when we're down. And sometimes to correct one another when we're wrong, but to love one another. And I think that is one of the most wonderful things that I, that I can look forward to throughout the week is to be gathered together with each and every one of you and to be encouraged so greatly that I am, knowing that God loves us and that we love Him. What I want to spend some time speaking about this morning is, is based on that same idea of doing that which is, is uh, according to your will, doing that which... Um, feels like this is, this is the right way, this is my way, this is how I will do it. That is the situation that, has got, uh, that David had gotten himself into. As he looked out across the, 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 the land, as he looked over and saw Bathsheba bathing on, on the, the house, uh, on, on the rooftop, David wasn't thinking, what is the will of the Lord? David was thinking, this is what I think is what I should do. This is what I want. This is my desire. And he gave in to that desire. And we have in Psalm 51, as a title, a prayer of repentance to the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. That's the whole, the whole context of what we're going to be looking at here this morning. Because in this prayer of repentance in the 51st Psalm, we have something very interesting uh, that David does, something that I believe we can learn uh, quite a bit about this, uh, this morning. Thinking back to, to the day when you were baptized, thinking back to the day when you first uh, accepted Christ as, as not only our Savior, but you accepted Christ as the King, as the sovereign ruler uh, of His kingdom, and as one who needed to be submitted to, to, to be followed. When you were baptized into that kingdom and received forgiveness of your sins. You think back to that day right now. And maybe you don't remember the exact day or the exact hour, but maybe you remember the feeling. The feeling of joy. And the feeling of relief. That you were free from sin. That you had, had the, the, the snare that it was holding you in the grave had been released and you were now free to truly live with Christ knowing your sins had been washed away by the blood of Christ, knowing that we stood before the Lord at that moment holy, 
We stood before the Lord at that moment blameless. Think back to that time for a moment. Wouldn't it be great to experience that joy, to experience that same relief again and again and again? See, sometimes I think that we, we treat that like it is a, a moment in life that, that is fleeting. It passes and, and we no longer get to, to go back and relive that moment like so many other moments in our lives. We, me and Holly were blessed to, to attend a, a, a wedding this weekend. And I think back to our wedding and think, well, that was a moment that, that we will cherish forever. But the, the actual moment of saying our vows together, that was a, a time that we look back on. But we know unless maybe we renew those vows, that's not something we're going to experience again. Uh, and sometimes I'm afraid that we treat the emotions and the, the strengths and the, the way that we feel whenever we are first baptized, when we are first brought into the fold of Christ. That's something that we can no longer feel again. That's a one-time thing and, and then it's gone. But that's not what we see in the Scripture. I want to suggest this morning that there's no reason why we cannot time and time again experience that and, and, and feel that way. Because even though we may have since have been, been baptized, sinned something terribly, done something just, just so awful that we, we, we can't imagine ever feeling the way we felt whenever we were baptized because of the sin that we have committed since then, God has made provision whereby we can continually enjoy the cleansing power of the blood of Christ. Not too long ago in, in the class Joe's teaching on, in Sunday mornings in 1 John chapter 1, in verse 9, we read that, that we are to confess our sins. And by confessing our sins to God... It is not as if we are being baptized again and again and again. That is not what we are doing there. But we know that God is faithful and He is just and He has promised to forgive our sins. Just as when we were raised from the grave of baptism, just as when we were cleansed by the blood of Jesus, we can rise from our prayers knowing that we have been cleansed from all unrighteousness. But the key, as we read in 1 John 1, 9, is that we confess our sins. But how do we do that? And how do we do that effectively? There are some things that I think we should keep in mind as we confess our sins. In Psalm 51, we have the, the prayer that David wrote, uh, or the psalm that he wrote that after he was convicted of the guilt of the adultery with Bathsheba. And he provides an example here of how one should confess their sins to God. He provides what I would like to call a true confession and provides an example of what a true confession looks like. Now, I want to say up front, before, before anyone accuses me of this, or before, before anyone maybe has this feeling, I'm, I'm not telling you how to pray. That is not my purpose here this morning. I'm not telling anyone that their prayers don't cut the mustard. But what I am saying is that there is provided for us, through divine inspiration, God in his, in his infinite wisdom, decided this is something that, that we should have recorded for us, this prayer, and I believe there's something that we can learn from it. So maybe we should spend some time considering how David confessed his sins and model our confessions around the way that David confessed as well. So let's begin by looking into Psalm 51 and, and considering that when we're confessing our sins to God, there are some things that we should be uh, have in the forefronts of our mind. The first thing that I think is made evident uh, as, we, as we read into this chapter 
is that there needs to be the right kind of appeal. Let's look in verses 1 and 2. Psalm 51 verse 1 says, Having mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. In beginning this prayer, David makes an appeal to the mercy and to the love of God. That's the basis for the plea that David is making for forgiveness. He says, it is according to your loving kindness. It is according to the multitude of your tender mercies. So David sought forgiveness based upon God's love, based upon God's mercy. And the pardon we seek when we confess our sins to God, we must remember that it is to have this same basis. It is not on the merit. It is not on the worthiness of man. We should not be asking to God to forgive us because we have done so in the correct manner. We shouldn't be asking God to forgive us because we have done something that, that we deem makes us worthy of forgiveness. Sometimes you will think, uh, maybe you've heard today of someone who, who might go and, and ask a, a, maybe a priest in the, in the Catholic Church, what, what must I do to be forgiven? These are the things you must do to be forgiven. You, you go and you say so many Hail Marys and then you say this prayer. and This is what you must do to attain that forgiveness. Well, that's not what I'm suggesting here. I'm not suggesting we say this, this model prayer and that's what earns our forgiveness. What I am suggesting is let's, let's have the heart that David had when he said in the beginning of his prayer, God, it's not because of what I've done that I come and ask you for forgiveness. It's because I know who you are. I know that you are a God of great love. And you are, you are full of goodness and full of grace. Forgive me, Lord, because that's who you are. It is in keeping with your mercy. It is in keeping with your unlimited compassion, Lord, that you please forgive me. So as we seek this, this washing or, or cleansing of our sins, let's ask not based on an appeal because of anything that we might have accomplished in the past. We won't come to the Lord saying, you know, I... I have, I have sinned, but look at everything else that I've done. I've been pretty good up until now. So please forgive me looking back to the good things I've done. Or look how long that I've been in service to you all my life. And, and yes, I've, I've made this sin, but I, I ask that you consider all these things that your servant has done. On the contrary, let's go to God and appeal for His mercy and His grace because that is the God that we serve knowing that that is the God that we serve. Turn over to Psalm 103 for a moment. We'll keep our place here in Psalm 51. We'll be right back. But in Psalm 103, read with me there, verses 8 through 10, about the Lord, the God that we serve. The Lord is merciful and is gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will He keep His anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. This is the God we serve. Let's keep that in the, the forefronts of our mind as we approach Him in confession of our sins, knowing this is who you are, God. Please forgive us because that is your qualities. That is your attributes. I think we do well to remember at this time also the parable that Jesus spoke over in Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And we had pictured in the parable the two men who came to, to pray, and, and, and in that prayer is a great example 
one of the opposite of what David has done here in Psalms chapter 51 and another one exactly what we might want to model our own prayers after as well. Because we see the Pharisee approaching God in prayer and he starts by saying, God, I thank you because I'm not like other people. I thank you because I'm not like a robber. I thank you because I'm not like some dishonest person. Today we'd say, I thank you because I'm not like, I'm not like one of these people out doing drugs. I'm not like one of these people out following after the world and doing, doing all sorts of, of immoral acts. I don't commit adultery. And then he says, I'm not even like this tax collector here beside me. Instead, Lord, consider everything that I do. Consider how much I give and consider how much I fast. Look at me, God, at the things that I am doing. Jesus ends that parable in verse 14 saying, I can guarantee that the Pharisee went home without God's approval. Let's keep David's mindset close at heart when we go to confess our sins to the Lord. That it is not in the things that we have done or the, 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 the length of time that we have been with Him. It is within God's character that we appeal for our forgiveness. The second thing that David does is he acknowledges his sin. Verse 3, For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Note David did not try to, to hide his sins. He says, My sin is ever before me. He admitted that it was a sin against God himself. And even though, yes, he had sinned against Uriah and he had sinned against Bathsheba and even against his own wives, he is acknowledging that it was ultimately against God himself that he had sinned. And he accepted the condemnation of God. He didn't try to justify anything. He said, God, you are right to condemn me for this sin. You are just and you are blameless. And God did condemn him for this sin. If we turn back over to, to uh, 2 Samuel. To 2 Samuel 12 and, and verse 1. Where we read where God sent Nathan to David. To tell him about the sin that he had committed. And to, to, to pronounce the judgment that would fall upon him. In the death of the child born to him in Bathsheba. And David says, you know what? God, even, even when that happens, you're right. You're just. You're blameless because I have not just sinned against these people in my lives. I have sinned against you. And so maybe when we think of 1 John 1, 9, we think of confessing our sins, we need to keep in mind the way that David did so, appreciating that it is key to receiving God's grace, acknowledging the sin. And, and sometimes we may simply just confess that we are sinners. And certainly that is what we see as we turn, uh, as we look at the latter part of, of the parable in Luke of the of the Pharisee and the uh, of the the tax collector, as he acknowledges to God, "I am a sinner," but it never hurts. It never hurts to make actual mention of the sin. There's a um, there's a program that is based off of the Bible. Anyone who's ever ever seen the 12-step the programs that given for alcohol, uh, alcohol abuse will recognize very quickly that this is based off biblical truths. This is based off of, a, a, uh, off of the Bible. 
And one of the things that is, is very interesting to me is the amount of emphasis that is placed on being honest with yourself and honest with the people around you that you have a problem. Because you can't begin to overcome that problem until you accept it, until you own up to it and say, this is my problem, and I have to deal with it. Similarly, David, David owns up to his sin. And it might do us some good as well whenever we go to God in prayer to not just, not just acknowledge that we are sinners. Again, there's nothing wrong with that. But to even acknowledge to him personally the sins that we have committed, the ones that, that we struggle with, the ones that we need his mercy and his, his, and his forgiveness for, and the ones that we need his grace in overcoming and becoming more perfect, more mature in him. We need to understand that all sin, whether done in private, whether done in public, whether done against many people, whether done against one, is a sin that is ultimately against God, against the creator of the universe, against the author of our salvation, against the Father who sent His Son so that we might be free from our sins. Every time that we commit sin, we are sinning against that great source of love and mercy. And it's not God's fault if we are condemned for those sins. Just like it's not the fault of His Word if it convicts it for us, of us. And it's not the fault of his messengers when they come to us to say, the things you're doing are wrong. As David recognized, God was just in his condemnation. We should recognize that as well. As we confess our sins, there is more that we should bear in mind. David also mentions, and, and from David we learn, that we need to understand where we are. And we also need to understand where God wants us to be. Let's continue reading verses 5 through 6. He says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Using hyperbole, which is so common in poetic language, David describes the, the, the total depravity of in which he finds himself. And he's not trying to escape responsibility by saying, you know what, God, I was born this way. It's just the way that you made me. I was just like that. And that's a, a one uh, um, excuse that we hear repeated over and over again in our world today. That's not what David is saying here. Not saying that I was made this way. He was saying, I know that I am so sinful. It wouldn't be possible for me to be any more sinful even if I had been, been made sinful to begin with. We know that God didn't create man and look down on man and say, it's not very good. I made some sin in that. He looked down on man after he had created man and said, it is very good. And David knew this as well. Using hyperbole, he shows the great depths that he knows that he has fallen from God. That he's been separated from God because his, his sin is so great. But he also recognizes that not only do I know where I am, I know where you want me to be, God. He knew that God desired truth in the inward parts. He desired wisdom in the hidden parts. And again, using figurative, using hyperbole, uh, he is illustrating that truth and wisdom are to be just as pervasive as the sin had been. As far from you as I have fallen, as deep as the sin is in my heart, that's you, you desire me to be that far into righteousness. 
into your truth, and into your wisdom. He describes the idea of total restoration. If I am as sinful, so sinful as if I had been born in sin, I need, to be, I need to go as far from that as I possibly can. To be as righteous as if I had always been righteous. As if it permeated the very fabric of my being. Doing so so that we can be thoroughly equipped to be faithful in our service to Him. Understanding what God wants us to be helps us to appreciate what David then goes on to say in verses 7 through 12. Because instead of just simply saying, God, please forgive me. God, please forgive the sin that I've committed. He also goes on to say in verses 7 through 12 that, that he desires to be renewed and restored. Purge me, he says, with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. <clears throat> Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast away, me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. When David asks in prayer for forgiveness, again, he uses this figurative language that is so common in, in, poet, in poetry. And he asks God to purge me with hyssop. Wash me whiter than snow. He says, I, I realize that, that, I, that I am dirty. I realize that I, my soul has been soiled and please make me clean. Please, and this is that idea of the forgiveness that he asks for. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all of my iniquities. But also, he shows that he desired something else. He desired joy and gladness in verse 8. He said, I want to rejoice again. Verse 10, I want a new heart. I want a steadfast spirit. I want to continue in your presence, Lord, and continue in your spirit. Or as he summarizes it all in verse 12, I want to be restored to your joy, the joy of your salvation, and upheld by your generous spirit. As we confess our sins to God, we should, we, we should be looking to God for more than just forgiveness, for more than just mercy, more than just covering up our sin. We should say, please renew me, completely rebuild me, Lord, and return the joy of the salvation, the joy that I experienced when I first obeyed the gospel, the joy that I experienced when I first learned of, of the great sin that I was in and the knowledge that through obedience in you, that sin, that burden had been lifted away. Return that joy to me. As we consider further David's confession of sin, we find it proper that we should also resolve to offer a grateful service. Verses 13 through 17, he said, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. 
for you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. He resolves. In asking God for forgiveness, David resolves, saying, I will teach sinners, I will teach transgressors about you. I will praise God for his righteousness in delivering me from sin. And he recognizes that I know that what God isn't looking for is animal sacrifices. He isn't looking for rituals. He isn't looking for for things that we can do on the surface. He's looking for something much deeper than that. He's looking for a spirit that has been broken. A spirit that is full of contrite. That's what God pleasures in. A resolution like that is perfectly in line with true repentance. Psalm 51 verse 6. Remember what we read there. You desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part it will make me to know wisdom. What God desires in God desires more than just forgiveness. He desires total restoration to permeate our being. Over in 2 Corinthians, let's turn there for a moment. 2 Corinthians, we read more of this idea. It is repeated in the New Testament here in 2 Corinthians 7. In verse 10, Paul writes, For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner, what diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter." Zealous service, true righteousness, true repentance is found as a result of true sorrow. Not pity, not pity upon ourselves, not a, a, a woe is me for what I'm, I'm experiencing, but a woe is me for what I have done, for where I have fallen from. And a resolution to feel this sort of sorrow and to be moved by that sort of sorrow is in keeping with true repentance. As we confess our sins, we need to look beyond just asking forgiveness for our past sins. We need to be moved with sorrow to say that I'm looking ahead. Not only that that sin won't be committed again, certainly that would be our desire in confessing our sins, but also to obtain not just this present joy, but a future hope that I will be able to be an example, to be a light, to help others to see the love and the mercy of God because of the forgiveness that He has worked in me, because of the change that has happened in my life. We should be making commitments regarding our future service. Finally, as we come to the end of David's psalm, we find that true confession 
includes that we pray for God's purposes as well. He ends verses 18 and 19 saying, Do good, speaking to God, do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifice of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then they shall offer bulls on your altar. Asking God would fulfill his purpose for Zion. Asking that God would be pleased with the sacrifices of Israel, with the work they were doing. Thus he confesses, uh, or his confession of sin ends with forgive me, with restore me, with your will be done. As we confess our sins, do we do so selfishly? Praying that only our, our needs for forgiveness be met. Do we do so considering God's desires? Do we do so considering God's purpose as Jesus taught? It is important to pray that God's will be done. Maybe consider this next time as we, as we pray, as we open our hearts to God, and as we confess our sins to Him. Maybe we consider that maybe my sin has been something that has hindered the work that is going on here at the Lake Street Church of Christ. We should be praying that God's good purpose be fulfilled in the work done here in Nicholasville. And so that our sacrifices, the prayers of our lips, the songs of our heart, the work that goes on in this community, building the kingdom, will be pleasing to Him and will be rewarded with increase by Him. Now I truly hope that I have not made the practice of confessing our sins to sound complicated. Because certainly there are occasions, there is time, as we read about, or as we, as we think about at the end of that parable in Luke, that saying, I have sinned. I am a sinner. And I need your forgiveness. There's times when that is perfectly acceptable. Times when that will certainly suffice. But I think it is marvelously illustrated in the prayer of David that if we desire to be less self-centered, desire to be more open to God in our confession of our sins, that we should appeal to His mercy, we should appeal to His love, we should acknowledge our sins before Him, we should understand where our sins have taken us and where He desires us to return to, we should pray and ask for renewal and for repentance and, or, or excuse me, rebuilding and restoration. We should resolve to offer him a greater service than we, what we have given. And we should pray that his will and his purpose be fulfilled in our lives. Praying as David did, we are sure to experience two things. Two things that I'm confident will happen when we open ourselves the way David did to God. One, we will receive forgiveness itself, what David was asking for. Two, that we will receive the joy of forgiveness. How do we know? Because that's what David received. We flip back over to Psalm 32. Psalm 32 is the psalm written after Psalm 51. 
And David here in the first five verses says, Blessed is he who is tra- whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For the day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into draught of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you. In my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. We can hear in David's words the change of heart. We can hear in David's words the answer to his prayer in Psalm 51. The Christian who likewise confesses his sins is a truly happy individual. For they have the assurance of salvation, as 1 John 1, 9 told us. So my question for you this morning is, have you confessed your sins to God today? This morning, if you are here today, having never been buried with Him in obedience, buried in Christ in baptism, the only way to truly confess your sins to God is to bring them to the foot of the cross. To bring them to the precious blood of Christ, which we find in baptism. Trusting that the soul who believes in God and follows Him in faith will find forgiveness for their sins. But having done so, and having walked and stumbled in sin again, you still need to receive that forgiveness. The song we sometimes sing, I Must Tell Jesus. We need to open ourselves before God. We need to pray. We need to confess. And we need to recognize that encouragement, forgiveness, strength, joy, these come from God when we walk in obedience as baptized children belonging to Him. If there is any way that we can help you with that here this morning, I encourage you, please, come forward right now as we stand and as we sing.